As we continue our studies this morning of the Christian home, of biblical family life, let me invite you to begin with me now in the 127th Psalm. Psalm 127, which is a song of ascents of Solomon, and which reads as follows. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. Father, it's, it's vain to labor, uh, building a house, watching a city, uh, preaching a sermon. If you are not building, watching, preaching through us. And so I pray that you would do that through me now, that you would be our speaker today, and that we would hear your voice and respond in faith. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Three weeks ago, I read to you the words of Jim Elliott on those verses written to his parents as he prepared to go to the mission field in Ecuador. You might remember Jim Elliott. He has become, since his death, the most well-known of the five missionaries, Jim Elliott, Pete Fleming, Ed McCulley, Nate Saint, and Roger Udarian, those five young men who were famously speared to death in their attempt to bring the gospel in the 1950s to the unreached and savage Warani tribe in the jungle of Ecuador. Their story has been memorialized in Elizabeth Elliot's book, Through Gates of Splendor, and in the more recent movie, The End of the Spear, both of which are on the resource rack in the hallway, along with some other resources on Jim Elliot. And it was Elliot's exposition to his parents of the last three verses of Psalm 127 that forever opened up for me, a new and profound vista as to what these verses and these arrows are all about here in this famous psalm. Eliot's parents at first were really not quite sure that they wanted to see their son go to the mission field. They were sad about it. And here's what he wrote to them in order to bring them around, quoting from Elizabeth's biography of her husband, The Shadow of the Almighty, which is also on the resource rack. Elliot wrote to his parents, I do not wonder that you are saddened at the word of my going to South America. This is nothing else than what the Lord Jesus warned us of when he told the disciples that they must become so infatuated with the kingdom and following him that all other allegiances must become as though they were not. And he never excluded the family tie. In fact, those loves which we regard as closest he told us must become as hate in comparison with our desires to uphold his cause. Grieve not, then, if your sons seem to desert you, but rejoice, rather, seeing the will of God done gladly. 
Remember how the psalmist described children? He said they were as an heritage from the Lord, and that every man should be happy who had his quiver full of them. And what is a quiver full of but arrows? And what are arrows for but to shoot? So, with the strong arms of prayer, draw the bowstring back and let the arrows fly, all of them, straight at the enemy's hosts. And then he quotes the hymn, O Zion, Haste, by Marianne Thompson. Give of thy sons to bear the message glorious. Give of thy wealth to speed them on their way. Pour out thy soul for them in prayer, victorious, and all thou spendest, Jesus will repay. Now, did you hear what he says specifically about our text this morning? Remember, he says, how the psalmist described children. He said they were as an heritage from the Lord and that every man should be happy who had his quiver full of them. And what is a quiver full of but arrows? And what are arrows for but to shoot? So with the strong arms of prayer, draw the string back and let the arrows fly, all of them, straight at the enemy's hosts. And that, to me, as I said, has opened a whole new window on the meaning of Psalm 127. Because I think that without Eliot's help, I probably would have always just read the quiver full of arrows analogy simply as David's way of saying a man is blessed if he has a whole bundle of children. And he is saying that. And he says it again using the analogy of grapes in verse 3 of the next psalm. But Eliot helped me see that there is more to Psalm 127 than just that the quiver is full. He's helped draw out the importance of why David says specifically that this quiver is full of arrows. David, moved by the Holy Spirit who inspired him, is informing us parents that our children are meant to be slung out that they are meant to be loosed like arrows on their parents' bowstrings to do damage to the kingdom of darkness and to bring victory to the kingdom of Christ. And that's what I want to preach about this morning as we keep thinking about the Christian family. I want us to think today about the home as a launching point or a bowstring, if you will, for the sending out of missionaries. The home is a launching point or bowstring for sending out our children to tell a lost and dying world about Jesus. Now let me be careful to emphasize that neither Psalm 127 nor Jim Elliot nor I are suggesting that missionary labors are the only fields into which our children must be launched as arrows to advance the kingdom of Christ. Some of our children, yes, will be loosed to pierce the hearts of unreached tribes with the love of Jesus and the gospel, but others of them will be loosed to bring the gospel into their homes as Christian parents, into the schools as Christian teachers, into a workplace as Christian employees, into the government as Christian statesmen, into the local church as pastors and Sunday school teachers and elders and deacons, and on and on we could go. So that there are manifold applications of Psalm 127, verses 3, 4, and 5. And I hope you'll have that in mind as you raise your own children or grandchildren and as you think about where your own arrows might someday land. Missions will not be the only calling in the lives of our children. And we must be careful not to make them think that it is, lest they feel second class for doing something else that God is legitimately calling to do, calling them to do. And yet... 
I'm convinced that God may well call some of the children in this room and some of the children who are yet to be born to people in this room, God will call some of them, I hope, to the great and necessary task of taking the gospel not just into the normal spheres where we all go on a daily basis, but to the ends of the earth. And I want us as parents to be prepared for that, and I want us as parents to get our children prepared for that too, if God should call them to do so. And so for today... While there are many places in which God might cause our arrows to land and to advance Christ's kingdom, today I want specifically to think about the landing place to which God directed Jim Elliot and his four martyred friends. Today we will think about the Christian home as a launching pad specifically for world missions. I think it's that important that I've included it in this series And I'd like us to think about that subject now and about our own arrows under three main headings. And the first is simply this. The home is a place for making arrows. The home is a place for making arrows. And here I want to emphasize both of those two key words, making and arrows. So the home is a place for making arrows. By which I mean that we cannot send our children as arrows. We cannot loose our arrows to the mission field if we don't have arrows in our quivers, if we do not produce children in our homes to begin with. And so I just remind you briefly, as I did a few Sundays ago, that children are a gift of the Lord, verse 3. That they are a blessing, verse 5, and that it is a blessing indeed to have Several of them. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Everything else that I'm going to say this morning about letting your quiver full of arrows loose for the sake of the gospel, everything else I'm going to say is largely dependent upon your being convinced, first of all, that children are a blessing, and therefore you're being convinced accordingly that couples should pursue having children where biologically possible, and that some couples should pursue adopting children as well and adding them to your quiver. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. So then, before we can shoot our arrows for Jesus' sake, we must first make arrows through childbirth and or collect arrows through adoption, and I hope you believe that, and I hope you pursue it in your marriages. Now, God has the ability, of course, to hew arrows from any wood and loose them from any family that he so chooses, even a pagan family, so that I'm not suggesting this morning that the future of world evangelization is dependent upon Christians having more children. Please don't hear that. We cannot even guarantee our children will be Christians, much less missionaries, And as I say, God can raise up missionaries from any place he chooses. So I'm not saying that everything rides on our childbearing or our child rearing. But what I am saying is that as Christian parents who care about the good news reaching the ends of the earth, we ought to be a big part of the process by preparing the sorts of arrows that can carry it there. And that starts with us having arrows in our quiver to begin with. As God allows. And so the home is a place for making arrows through childbirth or collecting arrows through adoption. But then, 
Still in our first main heading, we also need to say as we move toward our main topic that the Christian home is a place for making arrows. For making specifically arrows. In other words, it's not just that we need to have children, but that we need to view our children. Not as family heirlooms, always to be kept close at hand to warm our hearts, but we need to view our children rather as arrows to be flung out for the sake of the gospel. So we need to not only make arrows, but we need to be sure that we're making arrows, not heirlooms. We need to view our children the way Jim Elliott was urging his parents to view theirs. What are arrows for, he said, but to shoot. Do you remember Hannah from the pages of 1 Samuel? The books of Samuel open with her sad story of barrenness, childlessness, and being taunted by her rival and being misunderstood by Eli, the priest, and maybe a little bit misunderstood by her husband as well. And Hannah prayed for a child. And Hannah made a vow, if we can use the language of Psalm 127, she made a vow that if God would give her the blessing of a child, she would make him the Lord's arrow. First Samuel 1.11, she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And as we read on in her story, we find that Hannah did not just mean that in a generic way, but that when the Lord gave her a son, Samuel, And when the little boy was weaned, she actually brought him to the tabernacle there to live permanently as a servant of the priest and a servant of the Lord. And I just commend her to you as a marvelous example of what we're talking about this morning. Giving her son over for the Lord's cause. God might not call you to bring your son or daughter while they're still in childhood to live in the house of God. Indeed, from what I'm told, the local pastor here already has his quiver full and may not be accepting any new recruits. But you get the point, right? From the time he was small and even before he was born, even before he was conceived, Hannah had already handed her little boy over to the Lord for God to use as he saw fit. And I just commend that practice to you, to settle in your mind now that your children and your grandchildren are gods and to be prepared to loose them on his behalf. We looked a few weeks ago at the relationship of John G. Payton, the great missionary to what is now called Vanuatu, and we looked at the relationship that he had with his father, and his father, James, gave us such a wonderful portrait of Christian fatherhood, didn't he? And this young son who felt called to the mission field had a little different experience with his parents than Jim Elliot initially did with his because whereas Elliot had to convince his parents that they should pull back on the bowstring and let him fly as their arrow to the mission field, it was Peyton's parents who actually helped convince their son that he should go. Now, Peyton felt a strong sense of calling John Piper tells us, to bring the gospel to the South Sea so that it wasn't that his parents just planted the idea in his mind. He was already sensing that he should go, and yet he was a highly successful preacher in his homeland of Scotland. And some people thought he was making a mistake 
to leave such fruitful ministry at home to go be a foreign missionary. And says Piper, when he was criticized for leaving a fruitful ministry, one crucial event sealed his sense of calling, namely a word from his parents. And here's that word. Heretofore, they told him, we feared to bias you, but now we must tell you why we praise God for the decision to which you have been led. Your father's heart was set upon being a minister, but other claims forced him to give it up. When you were given to them, your father and mother laid you upon the altar, their firstborn, to be consecrated, if God saw fit, as a missionary of the cross. And it has been their constant prayer that you might be prepared, qualified, and led to this very decision. And we pray with all our heart that the Lord may accept your offering, long spare you, and give you many souls from the heathen world for your hire. And then Piper continues, in response to that, Peyton wrote, From the moment, every doubt as to my path of duty forever vanished. I saw the hand of God very visibly, not only preparing me before, but now leading me to the foreign mission field. Now, did you hear Mr. and Mrs. Peyton's parental strategy? They didn't seek to bias their son, which means, I think, they weren't always telling him that they thought he should become a missionary for fear, perhaps, of playing the Holy Spirit, as we would put it today. But when he was born, they did the same thing internally that we saw Hannah doing in 1 Samuel 11. When you were given to them, your father and mother laid you upon the altar, their firstborn, to be consecrated if God saw fit as a missionary of the cross. And then they prayed all his growing up that God would let the arrow fly. It has been their constant prayer, they wrote, that you might be prepared, qualified, and led to this very decision. And I want to commend that approach to you, moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, that you would dedicate your young ones while they are young to the Lord, to do with them as he sees fit, and maybe especially that you might pray that God would make them missionaries of the cross. That's not to say he always will, but I'm urging you to delight in and prepare for and even pray for the possibility that he might. I'm urging you to view your children not as family heirlooms to have and to hold, but as arrows to collect and to shoot to foreign fields for the sake of Christ. So that's the first main heading today. The home is a place for making arrows. But then in the second place, we need to see that the home is a place for sharpening arrows. The home is a place for sharpening arrows. And I'm borrowing that phrase, sharpening arrows, from a fellow pastor, Steve Burchett, formerly of Athens, Ohio, now of Kansas City. Steve began writing a blog several years ago, which is a collection of letters to his children for them to read someday. And he entitled the blog, Sharpening Arrows, from Psalm 127, out of a recognition that these arrows with which God has entrusted us must be sharpened before we let them fly for the sake of the gospel. If you're going bow hunting, you want your arrows not only to hit the target, but you want them, when they hit the target, to have the deepest impact possible so that you do not miss out on the spoils that you were shooting for. A blunt arrow can only have a shallow impact. And so the arrowheads must be sharp so that they will sink deep 
when they arrive at the target. And so it is with the arrows that we are gathering in our homes in which we eventually hope to shoot to the unreached tribes for the sake of King Jesus. If they're to have the impact we hope, they must be sharpened arrows. And of course, one way that you must sharpen them, one way that you must prepare your children to have the deepest impact possible on a foreign mission field or or on a mission field much closer to home, one way you must sharpen your arrows, the primary way, in fact, is to be sure that your children know the Word of God, to give them every opportunity to know the Bible. That's what we saw, isn't it, in the growing up home and family of Timothy. God called Timothy eventually to be a settled local pastor, and his arrow needed to be sharp for that reason. But he was first, you might remember, he was first called to the mission field. His first ministry job was that he traveled with the Apostle Paul on their missionary journey beginning in Acts 16. So that, you remember last week we talked about Lydia being converted and the Philippian jailer coming to Christ in the city of Philippi? Timothy was there. Timothy was a part of that mission team that we talked about last week that lodged in Lydia's house when her newly opened heart led also to an open home. And so Timothy was loosed in Acts 16 by his local church and also if they were still living, presumably by his mother and his grandmother as well, Timothy was loosed to be a missionary. And if you'll just turn with me to 2 Timothy 3 now. 2 Timothy 3, if you'll turn there, you will remember that before Lois and Eunice let the arrow fly, they had been busy since Timothy's boyhood sharpening him for the work ahead by instilling in his mind the sacred writings. Lois and Eunice had been busy since Timothy's childhood sharpening him for the work ahead by instilling in his mind the sacred writings. For Paul writes to his young apprentice, beginning in verse 14, You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Namely, from Paul, yes, but also from his mother and his grandmother. Chapter 1, verse 5. Continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And since Timothy had that wisdom from childhood, from his mother, from his grandmother, since they had sharpened him as an arrow from his boyhood, Timothy was able not only to be led by the sacred writings to Christ himself, but to disseminate to numerous other people also the sacred writings, which were able to give them the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Timothy's impact on the mission field was surely deep. And it was so partly because his mother had sharpened her little arrow, even from his boyhood. The word of God had made him, as Paul puts it in verses 16 and 17, the scripture had made him equipped for every good work. Equipped to point others to the same Jesus that he knew, to the same Jesus that he trusted, and who is to be found in the same scriptures that Timothy himself had learned as a boy at his mother's knee. Timothy was a sharpened arrow. He was an equipped arrow, even from boyhood. 
And so you may remember was John G. Payton. I have no doubt he learned a great deal that was useful among the cannibals of the South Seas when he went away to divinity school in Glasgow. But the things that Peyton learned in Glasgow and the things that he preached in Vanuatu were first taught to him, a great many of them anyway, by the father whom he described and whom we heard about a few weeks ago as never missing a family worship as instilling the Westminster Shorter Catechism in the minds of his children, as parading, you might remember, back and forth across the living room floor of a Sabbath evening, excitedly going over and over the Sunday morning sermon with his wife and children. So that John G. Payton, like Timothy before him, was a sharpened arrow. He was prepared to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, and it was the very gospel that he had first learned so winsomely and so well in the warmth of his own growing up home. Parents, grandparents, do not merely pray for your children that they might become missionaries, but give them the biblical foundation they will need to make effective ones. Sharpen your arrows so that they will strike deep when they land on some foreign soil. Sharpen them with the word of God. And let me say also, sharpen them not only by teaching them the scriptures, which is paramount, but then also sharpen them by telling them the stories of the work of God, even since the close of the Bible, among all the far-flung places of the earth. We saw on a recent Wednesday night in Psalm 145, verse 4, that one generation, the psalmist says, shall praise your works, shall praise God's works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. One generation shall praise your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. In other words, parents will tell of God's mighty acts to their children, and grandparents will tell them to their grandchildren. And sometimes great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents will speak of God's mighty acts to the next generations in their family. And of course, that includes first and foremost the mighty acts of God that are recorded for us in the Bible. But God's mighty acts didn't cease when the canon was closed, only to pick back up again when the final chapters of Revelation begin coming to pass. God has been performing mighty acts at home and on the mission field for nearly 2,000 years since the scriptures were complete. And therefore, we have great stories to tell our children, do we not? And to make available to them. I'm not disappointed that among their list of heroes, my children would probably list High King Peter or Thorin Oakenshield or someone like that. Imagination and make-believe can be a good thing, especially for the young. But I hope that I will also raise them in a home in which they will grow up thinking even more highly, having their imagination even more captured by men like Paul and Timothy and Jim Elliott and John G. Payton and women like Lottie Moon and Mary Slessor and Ann Judson, men like Adoniram Judson and Patrick of Ireland by the Smiths in Morocco and the Stoffers in Mozambique and the Shermans in Zambia and the family we support in China, by Glenn and Sonia on their way to Turkey, whom we heard from on Wednesday night. I hope my children will grow up in my home hearing both from my own lips and from resources and people that I put before them of the mighty acts of God on the foreign mission field and that those kinds of people doing those kinds of acts with God's help, 
will be among their heroes. Why? Because this is a part of the process of my preparing six little arrows and making them sharp so that if God calls them to the mission field, their hearts will have already learned to thrill at watching gospel light penetrate seemingly impenetrable darkness. And indeed, it will very likely be that if God does call some of our children to be missionaries, that a significant part of that calling may well be the stories that we parents have exposed them to, past and present, of those who have gone before them as missionaries of the cross. Ask a missionary when you meet them of how God called them to the mission field. And alongside the indispensable word of God that they will speak about that he used to convince them that they were called to the foreign field, many of them will also cite the reading of some missionary biography or the hearing of a modern missionary's story or maybe meeting a missionary in person as part of the way God wooed them to plant the gospel on foreign soil. And so I want to urge you, therefore, in order to sharpen your arrows and to prepare them for foreign service to our king, I want to urge you to expose your children to missionary biographies like the ones we have in the church library to modern missionary stories, such as we find in those dispatches from the front films, also in the library, and to actual missionaries that we have coming through from time to time in our own congregation. Don't let them miss those things. Let it be that the missionaries become among their great heroes. Christian homes are for sharpening arrows. And so I urge you, moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, to sharpen yours by training them in the sacred writings and by telling them of God's mighty acts on the foreign field ever since. So we've said two things so far. Our homes are for making arrows. Our homes are for sharpening arrows. And then in the third and final place, let us also say the home is a place for loosing arrows. The home is a place for releasing arrows. To return to Psalm 127 and to Jim Elliott's helpful exposition of it in its final verses, remember, says Elliott, how the psalmist described children. He said they were as an heritage from the Lord and that every man should be blessed or should be happy who had his quiver full of them. And what is a quiver full of but arrows? And what are arrows for but to shoot? to loose, to release. That's the logic I want you to take with you today, parents and grandparents. Your children are arrows. And what are arrows for but to shoot? Eventually, moms and dads, you must let them go. Eventually, you must put them on the bowstring and draw back and release them off to college, off to marriage, off to another home, off to another city, And yes, for some of you, off even to the remotest part of the earth to make disciples for their master and yours, to make disciples or subjects for their king and yours. And if he is indeed your master and if he is indeed your king, then you will let them go for his sake. Because the fame of his name and the praise of his glory and the advance of his kingdom among the unreached millions are worth it. So, moms and dads, says Jim Elliott, with the strong arms of prayer, draw the bowstring back and let the arrows fly, all of them, 
straight at the enemy's hosts. And you know, Elliot's parents did loose their arrow, and it flew high and glorious to a tribe shrouded in darkness and in deceit and in bloodshed. But as you know, there among that tribe, the arrow was splintered and shattered and bloodied and fell broken into the waters of the Kurai River. And when the news reached the United States and to those five young men's parents, it may not have seemed in that moment like it was worth it for the parents of these five promising young men who were slain bringing the news of Jesus to the unreached. It may not seem like it was worth it. But those five grains of wheat falling into the earth and dying bore much fruit because that massacre on the banks of the Kurari was just among the first of the mighty acts of God, Psalm 145, by which vast numbers of the Warani tribe to borrow language from John G. Payton, came to worship at the Savior's feet. But it took those first five men risking their lives and eventually losing their lives to open up the floodgates. And it took their parents and their churches and their families and even their wives on that expedition to the Warani. It took them putting them on the bowstring and letting them go. And I can promise you, whatever those dead boys' Christian parents thought then about the shattering of their precious young arrows, they have no doubt now as they worship around Christ's throne side by side, not only with their sons, but with many of those former savages whom they died to reach. Those parents have no doubt now, I say, that the Christ whom they are worshiping in heaven and the Warani souls for whom he died are worth every drop of their son's blood that ran into the river that day in the jungle of Ecuador. For let us never forget that the God for whom we are sharpening our arrows, the God for whom we must let them fly, sent his own son into the world, set his own son on the bowstring, and loosed him into this sin-sick world to die like a grain of wheat, to spill his blood on the ground, to be shattered for us, and thereby to have the deepest impact of all. And a God like that is worth... Every loss that we incur and every arrow that we release for his sake and for the sake of his gospel among those for whom his son died. As the famous missionary C.T. Studd put it, If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. And that includes the sacrifice of our sons and daughters to go live on foreign soil to raise our grandchildren far from home, to only be seen in the flesh every two to four years, and perhaps, like the Ecuador Five, to become broken, fallen arrows for the sake of Christ who is broken for us. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. And what are arrows for but to shoot? So with the strong arms of prayer, draw the bowstring back and let the arrows fly, all of them, straight 
at the enemy's hosts. Give of thy sons to bear the message glorious. Give of thy wealth to speed them on their way. Pour out thy soul for them in prayer victorious. And all thou spendest, Jesus will repay.